Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everybody. Um, I am so excited to be um, welcoming everybody. And first, before we get started, with no further ado, I want to thank Jeff Bishop for streaming Another Washingtonian. I want to thank another Washingtonian, Holly Turry, for hosting the meeting. Yay! And um, I would also like to thank Herbie, Herbie Allen for um, uh, uh, putting, uh, getting a Zoom link for us for the two meetings that we had um, and for the dress rehearsal that we had last Tuesday. Um, I would also thank Tim Downey, Perla, and Shirley for um, great uh, edits for what I wanted to say and the questions, so thank everybody for that. This call will be safe, welcoming, and respectful, you know, which are our core values in ACB. Now, I would like to introduce my co-facilitator, Meryl Schechter. Thank you, Lynn. I have known Lynn since childhood. Unfortunately, we lost touch, but when we reconnected, it was like we had always been friends, and we are sisters. I would also like to talk about the Jewish Hour, which Lynn facilitates, and I am grateful to her for doing so. Um, we have a, It's a non-judgmental call, and everyone is welcome. Well, we have our normal Jewish Hour tomorrow at 3 p.m., and we will have a debriefing tomorrow of the call that we will have tonight. Now I will turn it over to Lynn. Thanks again, Meryl. I would like to introduce three dynamic, fantastic, and powerful blind women whose parents were Holocaust survivors, Anita, Shirley, and Perla. Each of them will tell... Uh, well, I say transfixing stories or riveting about what their parents experienced, and they will have an allotted time of five minutes each. Anita, please go ahead, honey. Thank you. My mother, my mother Irma, was born in Lobsens, Germany in 1917. She was the youngest of six children. My father, Isidor Izzy, was born in Gdansk, Poland in 1920. As things got worse and worse for the Jews in Germany, my mother and her sister Ruth moved into Lodz, Poland, into the ghetto. In December, she got word from her mother, wanted her to come home with an empty suitcase and get some family heirlooms. She took the Mogan David that she wore off her arm and pretended to be German. But on the train, a high-ranking Nazi who knew her family spotted her. So still 20 miles from home, my mother jumped from the moving train, then walked in the freezing cold to her home. My grandfather had said he didn't fear any action from the Nazis because he was a prominent citizen owning a large, important brick factory. He was also a war hero and was awarded the Iron Cross. But when my mother got home, she learned from a neighbor that both her parents had been murdered by Nazis in the woods near their home. After returning to Lodz, my mother and aunt lived in the ghetto for four years. There she met my father. In August of 1944, my mother, 
her sister and my father and his parents were forced into cattle cars and taken to Auschwitz Birkenau. My father and grandfather were moved to the Koffering Slave Labor Camp, a subcamp of Dachau, near the end of the war. My mother, my aunt, my father's mother were first on the death march to Bergen-Belsen. All three contracted typhus. Bergen-Belsen was liberated on April 15, 1945. My father's mother died four days later. My father was liberated on May 2, 1945. His father had died nine weeks earlier. The soldiers who liberated the camp told the survivors that they could take anything they wanted. So my father took a shirt, a pair of pants, and he took a bicycle and rode it from camp to camp looking for my mother and his mother. After 64 days and 430 miles, he came to Bergen-Belsen and found my mother. They married the next day. My parents lived first in Munich, then Hamburg. My sister Tonika was born in Hamburg in July of 1947. In 1950, after waiting, my parents and Aunt Ruth received their visas and came to the United States, living first in Fort Worth and then Dallas. My father worked in a clothing factory and eventually became the owner of his own factory. He passed away unexpectedly June of 1974 at the age of 53, and my sister Tonika passed away in 1985. That was extremely powerful, um, uh, and I really appreciate it. And I'm telling you, that's a, a great, uh, a, a very poignant story. Next, we have Shirley. The floor is yours, my dear. Thank you very much. I am a child of Holocaust survivors. I have a brother who is five years older than I am, and a sister who is 12 years younger than I am. Both of my parents were originally from Poland. My mother started out in ghettos, which um, they kept making them smaller and smaller, uh, so there were less areas, you know, that they could get out into, and they kept putting more people in them, of course. And then eventually, they took the people from the ghettos and sent them uh, to concentration camps. And my mother was in probably about half a dozen of them. Uh, eventually, she did end up in Auschwitz. And um, she was there for quite a lengthy period of time. And she ended up with a permanent tattoo on her arm, which was evidence of being in Auschwitz. In fact, I can remember her showing that to a number of my friends and even to some people who just couldn't even believe that something like this took place. And she said, you know, when they did those tattoos and everything, if you dared scream or make any kind of sound at all, of course, they would just slap you in the face or whatever they had to do to you. Um, one day when she was working on a machine uh, in one of the munitions factories, she was so exhausted that she actually dozed off, um, you know, from exhaustion, and she cut part of a finger off. And um, 
you know, she always had that finger that I remember the first time I touched it, I don't know how old I was, but I remember feeling the end of her finger and it just had such an odd shape and the nail and everything. And that might've been one of the first times that she told me, you know, about what happened um, to her during the war and everything. And when they got to one of the concentration camps in particular, they were separated into two lines and they had one line set up that went straight to the gas chambers and they had another line of people who they thought were physically able to work and they sent them to a munitions factory. And my mother was one of the last ones that got pulled, you know, at the last minute and they sent her to the munitions factory because they felt that she was physically and strong enough, you know, uh, that she could do some of the work. My father, who was also in several concentration camps, was liberated from Buchenwald. And uh, those of you who have heard of Elie Wiesel, um, he was liberated from the same concentration camp. And I'm sure some of you have read some of his books or heard about him at some point. And my father hid um, among um, a pile of dead bodies in order to survive at the end when they came and found him. He weighed 70-some pounds. Both of my parents came from large families. My mother came from a family of seven kids. My father, I believe, came from a family of eight kids. Most of their brothers and sisters were married and had children, and they lost all their families, except they each had one sister left at the end of the war. And um, after uh, my parents both... um, ended up in Germany after the war, and um, my brother was born there. Four minutes. Israel for... (laughs) Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Then they went to um, Israel for a very short time, and um, then after that, they came to the United States. And even though my dad was not able to finish elementary school, he did quite well, uh, operated a business, with another partner who was a survivor and um, really did quite well, um, you know, in bringing up a family and everything else. So I will stop there for now, and I hope to tell you more about my parents' involvement in Holocaust education later on during this presentation. Thank you. That was heart-wrenching, Shirley, and I really appreciate it. And finally, last but definitely not least, We have Perla, who will give a brief account of her parents' experiences. And Perla has been a wonderful addition to the Jewish Hour, and she has so much useful information to share. Thank you, Perla. Thank you. And thank everyone who has chosen to participate. Um, If you have ever read or heard the humorous stories about the wise men of Hallam, You may think that Helm is an imaginary place, but it is not. Before World War II, Helm was a vibrant city in eastern Poland with about 50% Jewish population. My parents were both born in Helm, and they married there in 1930. In 1934, my sister was born. But soon after that, my father 
who was a master bricklayer, received a commission to work on the town hall in Zamish, a city about 36 miles south of Helen. My brother was born in Zamish, November 2nd, 1938. When the Nazis invaded Poland, my father suggested that my mother take the two children back to Helen to be with her family. My mother's insistence that they all stay together in Zamish ended up being the decision that saved all their lives and made it possible for me to be born years later. When the Nazis took over Helen, the first thing they did was round up all the men and older boys and send them on it the very first early death march where they murdered them all. The Nazis created a ghetto, sent Jews to work and death camps, and successfully destroyed the Jewish population of Helen. Excuse me, who, who's, who's check, uh, messing with the mic because it's a little distracting? Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, for go, go right ahead, honey. No, that's all right. It was distracting. Thank you. Um, my 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 father's two sisters and his brother escaped to the forest and survived the war as Polish partisans. My mother's only sister had moved to Palestine as an early pioneer in 1936. Excuse me. Uh, who, who has it's the microphone? It's impossible to continue. Yeah, who is moving the microphone? Please don't do that. Keep the microphone stable or steady, please. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The rest of the, Go ahead. The, the rest of the family perished in the hands of the Nazis, including my four grandparents and my mother's three brothers. Because of a secret pact between Hitler and Stalin to divide Poland and not fight each other, Zamish came under the uh, Russian control. My mother, father, five-year-old sister, and one-year-old brother were loaded on a cattle car for a multi-week winter journey through eastern Poland, Ukraine, and Russia to a logging labor prison camp in Siberia. Four minutes, but you get an extra half a minute because you talked, you got interrupted. Go ahead. Thanks. Uh, during my life, I have heard many stories of the starvation and hardships the terror and life and, and near-death experiences that my family somehow managed to survive. My father was given a 10-year prison term 
for being a spy because he complained about conditions in Russia. My mother was pregnant at the time, and the baby girl that was born died soon after of starvation. I will explain how my family reunited, how I was born in the Ukraine, and our path to California during the next portion of this presentation. Thank you for your attention. They, the, the, the human suffering that they suffered was beyond belief, Perla. Thank you yes. all for thank you all for having the courage to share what your parents went through before, during, and after the Holocaust. Now we will have a series of seven questions that Marilyn and I will ask Anita, Shirley, Shirley, and Perla, round robin style. I will ask the first four, and Meryl will ask the last three. When was the uh, so for um, Anita? When was the first time your parents told you, or you knew that they were Holocaust survivors? And how do you how did you feel personally if you remember that? Well, I think I was a little kid. I was probably five or six. And my mother mentioned that she starved, and so I had to make sure I ate everything on my plate. And that was when I was very young. And I guess as far as affected me is that. I, I always think about it whenever I'm eating. I always think, well, you know, I have to finish my plate because that's what my mother always told me. So it, I guess, had a big effect on, on me. But I didn't know much about the Holocaust as a child either. They didn't talk about it. My mother was always upbeat, wanted to think positively and never negatively. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, Shirley, do you want me to repeat the question or do you know what the question is? I know what the question is, and unfortunately, I really can't tell you when they first talked about it, um, or when I remember it, at least. I guess I was probably a teenager. Um, I was asking my brother and sister those questions the other day, and my brother said he didn't remember hearing a whole lot about it from my parents, um, you know, until he was in college. And um, I guess probably, you know, as we got older, um, you know, like I'm sure I heard about it when I was a little younger than him and my sister probably heard about it when she was a little younger than me. And um, as we go a little further into this evening, I can, you know, tell you about some things they did when they finally started talking about it. But it was something they really um, wanted to I don't want to say hide from us, but they wanted to protect us, I think, for quite some time. And, of course, they also had a lot of nightmares uh, regarding the Holocaust and things like that. So it wasn't really easy for them to talk about it either. So it was kind of a combination of things. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so honest and forthright. And Ms. Perla, what about you? Well, you know, it's hard to tell because it was a permanent part of my life. Because um, 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 by the time we came to the United States, I was five years old. And um, we had all been in displaced persons camps for five years in Germany. And so, you know, stories were told. And I'm sure I knew, but I don't really remember it from then. 
But Did you... I know that. Go ahead. I know, like when we moved to San Jose, and I was eight years old, the story came up more often because there were fewer people that understood what had happened or knew what had happened. Um, and when I was in high school and, and college, I started asking questions, and um, and I made a tape with my parents, a cassette tape, where I, I specifically asked them a lot of questions. Um, and then when my mother passed away, I made a tape with my brother and sister, um, and so I got stories. Um, but, you know, I lived with it all the time. It was part of our of our holidays and get-togethers and daily life. So the stories and Russian songs and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. So ju just that's a, uh, another question to clarify also. They went from Russia, which was the Ukrainian, now Ukrainian territory, to Germany and then to the United States. Is that how it went? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. And now the second question is... Uh, Okay. Did you choose to keep the secret or did your parents ask you to keep the secret or did they keep the secret? Um, Anita? My parents didn't. Um, they didn't choose to. They didn't want me to keep it a secret. And I didn't. I would tell people that, you know, my parents were Holocaust survivors because I was very proud of the fact that they made it, you know, that they they were they survived. Because with all the horrors that they went through, um, my mother working in the salt mines, for example, for three months with no food, no rations, and her sister was sickly. And whatever she got, she would give her a little bit of extra so that she could survive. Wow. And Perla? Um, well, my father was very open about talking about it all the time. And, um, but my mother really uh, didn't want to. She would shush him all the time until later in, in their lives. Um, we had another complication as far as the Holocaust went because my uh, sister married a man who was the only surviving member of his family. Um, he had been in the Lvov ghetto and escaped and had amazing stories about how he made it through. And, um, and he was very obsessed. And so the subject was frequently discussed in our household. Um, as far as keeping it a secret from other people, I didn't keep it a secret. I was who I was. And when the topic came up, I talked about it. I taught uh, night at my high school when we had a Holocaust week and uh, talked about my family experience as part of that. Um, so, yeah, I would say that I've been pretty open about the whole experience. Thank you so much. The next question, uh, Anita, what is the difference between the way your parents explained their experience to you as a child as opposed to when you were an adult? Was there any difference there? Um, 
Well, as a child, my parents really didn't explain very much to me. I would ask questions, but I never got many answers. They just did not want to talk to about it. When I was an adult, my mother began opening up and telling stories. When you least expected it, you, you heard a story. So that's, that's basically what, mm-hmm. how it worked. Appreciate that. How about you, Shirley? Well, um, as I said uh, earlier, my parents didn't talk a lot about it when I was a kid, but they didn't totally hide it either because they had um, friends. They had a whole group of friends that they hung out with who were Holocaust survivors, and they were with them all the time. They played cards with them every weekend and, you know, so on and so forth. So obviously I knew something about it. I don't think they discussed it in great detail when I was younger, but, you know, I obviously knew that they had um, all these friends that, uh, you know, had come from Europe with them. And I'm sure that I knew that, uh, you know, they were survivors. I knew a little something about it. Um, There was one couple they hung out with actually who, you know, who wasn't Jewish, who was from America. And that was, because they were parents of my best friend. Um, But as I got to be an adult, they certainly talked more about it. And eventually, uh, not only did they talk to me about it, but eventually they started um, going out to schools to speak and things like that. Now, this was quite a bit later. This was, you know, after um, I was an adult and, Everything else, my you know brother uh, was already married, and I was married. You know, by that time, they started going out to schools and speaking, and uh, they actually made a film um, that has been shown, you know, on television in the area that I was from, and um, they actually um, also have shown that film in the schools and. Uh, they were a part of a project that Steven Spielberg did. So, um, you know, once they started talking, uh, you know, they definitely made it known what happened to them. And they wanted um, people to be aware of it so that they wouldn't forget and so that it wouldn't happen again. And that really motivated them, um, you know, to go out and talk more in public. So, of course, at that point, you know, we had a lot more knowledge. Thank you for uh, bringing us up to date on that score, too, because that was very important, um, Holocaust education. And how about you, Perla? Um, I mean, this was really a way of life for your family. I mean, this... Yeah, it was. And I think, though, as an adult, I started being more uh, um, direct about the kinds of questions I would ask. Um, But there, of course, were many that I never asked. Um, My mother had, through all those travels and everything that happened to them, she had managed to save pictures of family and and friends from uh, pre-war hell. In fact, I have a picture of three of her school classes with all the children in each of the classes, most of them who must have been murdered. Um, And 
and uh, and so she would she would go through the pictures and tell me who the people were and tell me some of the stories and so on. It was really, you know, I have to say my brother, um, who's 83 now, and he will not talk about it at all. Um, and I know he has nightmares, and my sister had nightmares. Um, yep. he, he told me a story um, just actually just a few years ago, came up at a Passover Thanksgiving dinner about an English teacher we both had in high school. And he went through seven years earlier than I did. And he, they had been given an assignment to write, you know, an autobiography piece. And he said he came in the next day and she told him that she had thrown out his paper because he had made it all up. Oh. And so, yeah, so, you know, oh some people just didn't want to know. Yes, that must have been, that must have been very heartbreaking for him, I'm sure. That's it was, I'm sure it was. Ridiculous. And he's lived a life, you know, where he's really resented it. Yes. So, wow. I haven't had that kind of reaction, but he certainly did. Sorry about that. Thank you so much for sharing. You, you people are just so honest. I appreciate it. The next question, Anita, is has the Holocaust had an impact on you or your worldview or both and how? Um, I think it's had an impact on me in that I'm so amazed that my parents came through it. I mean, after what my mother did, she had guts, like she said in several of her articles. I had guts to keep going. And I guess she did till 103. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, actually. Um, I think the way it impacted me is that, you know, I was always told that um, I got my, my disability from the war, both my disabilities, my CP and my blindness. And that always hurt in a way because, you know, I didn't want it. I didn't want to be it to be known like that, but they, when, she was in the concentration camps. She said they put something in the soup that caused the women not to have a period. And so she feels that's why it ha everything happened to her. And I guess that's kind of how I feel. You know, it's like, well, I'm not the one to blame, but, you know, so I guess I kind of carried that with me. But in the later years, I've, I've learned that you know, this happened, and I, we just hope it doesn't happen again. But, of course, in Ukraine now, it's kind of happening. Yeah. So. And, of course, I hope you don't mind me sharing also that your sister, who died early, was also disabled, had a disability. Yes, she was also disabled. She had um, she was emotionally disturbed and retarded, right. and she died of ovarian cancer in 85. <sighs> so it was, it was my, my parents really had a hard time because they didn't know what they were going to be able to do for her. And she would, she cost them a lot of grief and heartache. And at one point they were going to divorce because it was always an argument what they were going to do. It was really sad with her, actually. Yes. Thank you so much for, again, being so honest and open. And Ms. Shirley. Yes. Um, wow, this is a tough one. Uh, did the Holocaust have an impact on uh, my worldview? Or you, um, or you, yeah. Or me. It's, uh, well, yes, I would say so. Um, because 
I think it's it's definitely more important for me now um, to make sure that uh, people do know what happened. You know, I'm sort of, I guess, following um, in my parents' footsteps in a way. Um, because of what occurred, uh, I'm I'm definitely somewhat more involved in, in Judaism. I certainly don't hide the fact that I'm Jewish. Um, and um, I get very, very upset when I hear people use expressions uh, that I know are inappropriate um, that are linked to Judaism. And in, you know, some instances, I've made comments to people, you know, when I've heard some of this verbiage. And, um, you know, I'm sure I'm a lot more sensitive, um, you know, to the things that go on and to a lot of the uh, anti-Semitism, unfortunately, um, you know, that's still taking place nowadays. So I guess it's had an impact on me. And I've been involved in various committees. Um, when I lived in Dayton, Ohio, um, my brother and I were both very involved in a Holocaust committee. Uh, every year they had a, um, a Holocaust memorial service and we always went to that and we were very involved in the committee that prepared for it every year. So yes, it's, it's definitely had an impact, um, on my life and, um, definitely, you know, seeing what my parents went through when I think of everything they went through to, to get where they did. And, you know, one thing I was going to say at the, at the end of my first presentation and, um, you know, I, I know it got a little lengthy there, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that my parents had gone through all this, they had come through the war, they had come to another country, they had to learn a new language and everything. And then here all at once, they ended up, you know, with this blind child and they had no idea what to do with me. I mean, they couldn't even barely, you know, speak English at that point. So, yeah, it, uh, it you know, it's definitely impacted all facets of my life. Thank you. Did they have a feeling too that they thought the Holocaust had um, uh, been instrumental in your blindness or did they not? If they did, they never expressed it. Um, you know, it, it might have been instrumental, I guess, maybe to an extent that, that I was premature. And, um, you know, so my mother, um, you know, was not able to carry me to, to full term. And uh, I believe she had one or two other miscarriages. So it's very possible that her time that she spent there, you know, had an impact on her physically as far as her health and so on and so forth. So I suppose in an indirect way, uh, it could have, you know, impacted um, you know, my birth and so on and so forth. But they, they never gave me any impression like that outwardly in anything they ever said. And Perla, how about you? Um, you've talked a little bit about this, but uh, has, I'm sure this has had an impact on your worldview and, and, and on yourself too, correct? Yes. Um, it's, it would be 
I'd have to write about five books, I think, and, <laughs> you know, in concert with a lot of neuroscientists and psychologists. And, you know, I, it's, you know, they say that there's a, a book out about how your body knows. And um, I've had issues with anxiety and stress and, um, you know, all my life. Um, I think, um, protecting parents that you know that have had a lot of pain in their lives and uh, my brother and sister too um wanting to um be the good child and yet you know wanting to be a real american girl that went against all my father's ideas anyway <laughs> yeah and uh being a refugee in a in San Jose, California in the 50s, um, you know, there weren't any others of us and we were looked on quite differently from other people. Um, it just, I couldn't even start to speak the ways. I think that, I think this issue, this situation in Ukraine is bringing up a lot of things for me because of all the deaths and burials and signs of what horrible things people can do to each other. So, you know, I think there's been a lot of sensitivity in that area. I it, can't, it, go ahead, it's go ahead. a big part of my life. I mean, it's, it's yes. yes. I can tell. Did you finish? Yes. I just make sure I didn't want to interrupt you. You know, first of all, these answers are Absolutely amazing. Meryl, it's your turn now to ask the last three questions. Yes, thank you, Lynn. F, um, Anita, after yes. the Holocaust, did your parents' religious practice change in any way, and if so, how? Well, after the Holocaust, my mother, for a very long time when I was little, she kept a kosher home. Uh, she was Orthodox at that time. But when her brother passed away, she quit the kosher home, meaning for Pesach, she used to, you know, clean the cabinets out and you know, get the hummets out of the house, the whole bit. The, the you know, the meat, meat, meat plates, the, everything was just so. But once he passed away, she lost faith. And that was her only living brother. Um, and so once he passed away, she lost faith. And she still was very, very Jewish. She went to services a lot. She loved going to services. That was a big deal for her. Um, and we went usually every Friday night. I love the choir. That's the singer in me. <laughs> so I, I always loved going to services. And she did too. That, that's my parents both. They both loved going to services. So that was one thing we did. Um, and I think that really helped her get through the tra trauma of losing her brother. Thank you so much, Anita. And I'm so glad that she maintained the interest in the synagogue and unfortunately because of her brother's death she did lose interest in the cuss route and you know but it, it's understandable with everything that she went through so thank you so much no, you're, uh, you're welcome um shirley uh what about you after the holocaust did your parents religious practices change in any way and if so how well, um, I think initially, although I don't remember it very well, but I, I do think um, my mother kept kosher when I was little. 
um, like I said, I don't remember it, but there's something in the back of my mind that, that tells me that she probably did. Um, as time went on, I think religion became, um, less important to her. Not that she, um, you know, wasn't Jewish and that she didn't, um, you know, celebrate holidays and things like that. But, uh, you know, she definitely, you know, didn't attend uh, services on a regular basis or anything of that nature. It was part of her life. But I think, you know, like I said, it became a smaller part of her life as far as uh, day-to-day practice. Now, my dad, on the other hand, he got very involved with the synagogue. And I, I wish he was around now. Um, so I could ask him what really made him do that, uh, because I, I think if I had been in his situation, I'm not sure that I could have gone that direction. But he really did. He became very involved in the synagogue, and um, you know, one of the things like uh, in, in their synagogue, you had to have a certain amount of men uh, every day, uh, you know, in certain religious. Um, factions of the Jewish religion, and, you know, to conduct a service, you had to have a certain amount of men there, and many, many times they would call him, because he didn't live very far from the synagogue, and they would call him and say, you know, we need a couple more people, can you come so we can conduct the service, and he would leave at the last minute and go, even if it meant my mother had to keep dinner on the stove, (laughs) which... uh, you know, she wasn't always exactly thrilled with, but it was important to him, and he stayed involved, um, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, for the rest of his life. So it was kind of interesting. Now, I don't know what his upbringing was religiously as a child or, you know, how much either of them did. I think Judaism, you know, was important to them in Poland, but I don't know how much their families celebrated, but you know, like I said, it was definitely an important part of my father's life. Thank you, Shirley. And it's very interesting, the antithesis between the way your father still remained involved and later on your mother didn't. So that's that's truly fascinating. Thank you so much. And um, Perla, after the Holocaust, did your parents' religious practices change in any way? And if so, how? Um. Well, my mother always suffered from the fact that she did not keep a kosher home here in the United States. Uh, Her family had been very religious, and she always bragged about the fact that her home was the only one where the rabbi would actually eat because he trusted her mother so much. Um, Her... uh, uh, and but when we moved to San Jose, keeping a kosher home, we had no money. Um, buying four sets of dishes and uh, you know all of and getting kosher meat. This was not Los Angeles. It was not you know Denver. It was not New York. And um, it took a lot of resources that uh, were not going to be put in that direction. She always believed very strongly in God. And my father, um, 
He was instrumental in starting a new synagogue because he found the reform one that lived that was near where we were living was just too much English and he didn't really consider it religion. So um, he was one of the originators of a um, of a uh, conservative shul uh, in our city. But I mean, he was not real religious. Um, in other ways. Okay, thank you so much, Perla. And and again, I see all the differences in the religious practices between the between the parents, and it's extremely moving. And you know, you just learn a lot from that, and it's very fascinating. So thank you. Um, the next question is: How many steps did it take for your parents? to immigrate to the United States, and why did your parents choose to immigrate, uh, Anita? Well, I don't really know how many steps it took. I know that they were in, um, <clears throat> they were in Hamburg and also <clears throat> in Munich, as I mentioned, but they were by then in Hamburg. And my aunt, of course, was with them, and my mother had gone to, uh, while she was four months pregnant, she went to try to get her brother out of, he was in a spy camp in Russia and she went to get him out. So she, they wanted to immigrate and they had trouble getting visas, but finally in 1950, they got their visa and they came to, they said they'd take it wherever it would go. If they could go to Israel, they would go to Israel. But if they really wanted to go to the U S because she knew that she had an aunt and uncle in Fort Worth, Texas, so they ended up immigrating here in 1950. Oh, thank you so much, Anita. What an ordeal they went through. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> um, and uh, Shirley, um, what's your response to this question? How many steps did it take for your parents to immigrate to the United States? And why did your parents choose to immigrate? Well, my parents went from uh, from Germany to Israel, and from what I understand, they weren't there very long. Um, of course, they, they were in Poland, of course, at the beginning of the war and before the war, and then they ended up in Germany after the war. They went to Israel, and I, I didn't know this until the other day, so I've had an interesting time talking to my brother and sister a little bit and doing a little bit of research. And I believe it was my sister who said to me the other day that my mother was very unhappy in Israel. They didn't have, you know, an easy time there. And she told my father that she wanted to leave there because she had had a, you know, very difficult time in the war and everything. And, you know, here they were in, in Israel and it was, you know, it was tough, um, I guess living there at the time and i guess she just uh really didn't want to stay there and at the time my mother had one sister who had survived and um so she and her husband were living in cincinnati now i'm not sure how they got to cincinnati to begin with but i know that um whoever wanted to come over had to have some type of a sponsor to bring them over. So apparently somehow my aunt and uncle, uh, found someone, um, I believe my sister said it was a rabbi. I had, like I said, I had not heard this until the other day, but 
Um, they found someone to, you know, who was willing to sponsor them so that they could come over to the United States. And I'm sure part of it was, like I said, the fact that, um, you know, it wasn't easy uh, as far as the lifestyle there. And the other part was, is that she only had one family member left who she had been separated from, you know, for years and had lost everyone else. And I'm sure at the time, you know, she just wanted to be, you know, closer to her too. So they would at least be able to spend some time together. So that's what they did. They came over to the United States. I think at that time, um, my brother was probably about three years old or something like that when they actually came over to this country. And they started out in Addy for a very short time and then moved to Dayton, Ohio. And uh, they stayed there um, until my mom died and then my dad ended up spending the the few uh, years he had left in florida and they were already spending part of the time in florida they had a place um you know in florida so they were doing that part-time but um you know he ended up uh, basically moving there permanently once my mother died wow thank you so much shirley again all the expense and all the ordeal that your parents took to get to the U.S., but they persevered and they arrived and they flourished, you know. So thank you so much. And Perla, what's your response? Well, it's a complicated story. Um, When my father was in prison, okay, we're talking about how many steps steps it took. When my father was in prison, there was, uh, and Russia had joined with the Allies because Hitler did attack him finally. And um, the Allies insisted that Polish, that the Polish citizens be taken out of Siberia. And so um, my mother and my sister and brother ended up being sent to a kolkhoz in the Ukraine. It's a, uh, a kolkhoz is a uh, communal farm. And, uh, and then uh, my father got out of prison. He was tiny, had a broken arm, but he had a pass to use the trains. And so he and this big Russian guy he had befriended started traveling west and he finally found my mother, and I was the result of that reunification. At three months, when I was three months old, my family was smuggled out of the Ukraine um, with, I believe, the assistance of a group called the Briha, which um, was activated to try to get Eastern European Jews out into the displaced persons camps and then to Israel. So we were led out um, through um, the mountains, through Czechoslovakia, into Austria, and then we arrived in the uh, German, um, the American portion of Germany 
1946. And we were among the last to leave Germany because my father did not want to go to Israel. He said he had enough of socialism in Russia. And um, he wanted to go to America. My mother had written, had been writing when she was young to a an uncle in San Francisco and a person who knew the uncle, but he was dead, went to one of his sons and said, these people are looking for you. They've survived the war. And the cousins agreed to sponsor us. So that was how we came to America. We came through Ellis Island, but were immediately put on a train to California. And that's where we've been since. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing their story, uh, Perla, and yours as well, because you were part of it. And as you said, you were the uh, ultimate, you know, the conception of the birth of, of both of those. So, um, And again, all three of you have, the, your parents have had inordinate suffering and horrific suffering. And I really, really just feel so bad for all the people involved. My heart goes out to them and to you. Um, the last question is, what final thoughts, Anita, do you want to leave with, you, with our audience? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that we should not forget that the Holocaust really happened. A lot of people think it didn't, but it really mm. did. That's true. Mm. And there were three things that my mother always told me. She said, never give up, don't lose hope, and be positive. So that's what I want to leave with the audience. Very, very emotional and moving words. Thank you so much. And your response, Shirley? Well, she took a lot of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, as one of the people said earlier, um, when her brother um, was in school and everything, and he, you know, wrote this paper, and the teacher tore it up, said, you know, this this never happened. Um, this is the kind of thing that you run across sometimes. And I know, um, you know, when my parents spoke, and as I said, they spoke at some schools, and they, um, they uh, were, you know, involved in, uh, in making a film. And I remember one time uh, they were interviewed on a radio station, and um, my husband and I went down there with them for the interview, and uh, the, uh, the host took some questions and things like that. And one of the persons that called in tried to make some kind of a comment like, the whole thing never happened, it's a big hoax. And we know it happened. We have evidence of it. And, um, you know, something like this could very easily happen again if, you know, if we're not careful and don't pay attention to what's going on. So it's important um, to remember this. This could happen to, to any of us in any facet of our lives, whether you know, it's because of a disability or because of our religion or anything else. And, uh, you know, it's important um, that we make this known 
And, um, you know, this is, like I said earlier, part of the reason that my parents were involved in speaking to students because they wanted to make sure that something like this wouldn't happen again. And, um, you know, we've, we've got to, to be out there and support our people. And one of the things, um, I wish I could remember the whole saying right now, but uh, during this film, my parents did, um, there was a student that read, um, read part of a passage, and I'm not sure where the whole thing came from, but it was very interesting. Part of it said, um, you know, if I'm not, you know, for myself, who will be for me or something like that, I'm going to mess it up because I don't remember the exact yeah. wording, but, you know, you've got to look out for yourselves and you've got to look out uh, for other people that are among us and we've got to make sure nothing like this does ever happen again. Thank you. You're welcome. You're right. You're absolutely right, Shirley. The Holocaust cannot ever happen again, and people cannot deny its existence because you three are people whose parents survived it, and so therefore your stories are real and vivid and emotional. So thank you. Um, Perla? What are your final thoughts? Um, what final thoughts do you want to leave with our audience? Well, certainly hope and persistence and struggle. You know, my mother always used to say if we could get up in the morning and get dressed and get out of bed, then, you know, that was a good day and she could hope for better. Um, but the other you know, life is a struggle, and uh, so that's how we, we need to approach it. But the other thing that really is hitting me, especially with what's happening right now uh, with Ukraine, is that many people who have been brought up with freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of movement, just really do not understand what it means to live in a world where somebody can dictate all of those things to you and that you stay awake at night or you, and you sleep in your clothes and boots because you're waiting for a knock on the door where someone will take you to prison or take you to be shot, or whatever they want to do with you. And, you know, Americans need to see that in people and not dream about what it's like to have a really well-organized society. There's nothing better than freedom, and we need to appreciate it and keep it. Thank you, well, Pearl. Oh, sorry. When, go, go ahead. The fact that your that all of your parents persisted and never gave up, and and just struggled, and suffered. I mean, it's beyond belief. But they had hope too, and and that's what I love about all these fascinating stories. So thank you for sharing, everybody. Well, now it is time for you and the audience to ask questions of the panelists. Our gracious host, 
Holly will give the commands for participating. Okay, good evening. Um, this is the uh, webinar, so things are a little bit different. If you are on a computer, um, I and nobody can mute unmute themselves. I will get you, and I will call you, and you can unmute yourself and talk. Um, if you're on, if you're on a um, iPhone, you go down and um, look at mute. I mean, raise your hand is in the middle of the screen. So if you want to ask a question, raise your hand. On the computer, it's Control Y. Um, on the phone, it's star nine and on the mac it's options y to mute and unmute on the computer it's alt a on the mac it's con command shift a on the um phone it's star six and on the iphone it's in the lower left hand corner but i should mute you so unless i forget I sh which I shouldn't, okay? Okay, who do we have, Holly? Just a second. No problem. Calandra, go ahead. Yes, uh, this is Calandra. Um, I guess this question is for all three of you, and uh, it's fascinating that you know that I've heard about the Holocaust when I was in history and stuff like that I took history and read about it too um, in spite of all that you've gone through what were the schools and, and places that you went to um, did you ever have a rabbi um uh when you were coming up in school and were you discriminated against by other children and adults who wants to take that um well i'll take it this is perla um yes i went to sunday school and uh and, and was confirmed so you know i had rabbis in my life i was married in a in a synagogue by a rabbi my husband is jewish but not of the same generation um of immigrants um yes i was discriminated against um i don't know if it was because i was jewish or because i was a little refugee kid or what but um i know that there was there were uh, there was at least one mother um, in my elementary school group that would not allow my best friend's mother to invite me to her birthday party. Um, little things like that. And of course, getting into Stanford was uh, a tough call. Um, things like that. I mean, I'm sure those things were there. Does anybody else want to respond? I can respond if that's uh, okay. Go ahead. Um, uh -huh. It, this is Anita. Um, well, let's see. I grew up where I didn't get to do a bat mitzvah until I was 34. That's a long time because my father felt that my sister, who is emotionally disturbed and retarded, well, she can't have a bat mitzvah, so you can't either. 
So by the time I was 34, he was already gone. So I told my mother before I got married, I wanted to have a botanist. And I did. And the wonderful part was the cantor got a day off. I did all the singing for him. So that was but as far as being discriminated against, I was several times where people would call me a dirty Jew, which I thought was horrible. So, yes, it happened. And do you have anything to say, Shirley, or not? Well, I don't have a lot to add, really. I mean, I think we all experienced it at, at some point as far as discrimination. I don't, you know, remember, you know, anything real definite. Now, when I went to the uh, school for the blind, which I did go part of the time, there were only three of us who were Jewish. And yeah. that was kind of difficult. I wouldn't say I was discriminated against, but, you know, back in that day, I don't think it could happen now, but back in that day, you know, you had um, what they called chapel a couple times a week. And, you know, I had to attend even though I was Jewish. Now, they didn't force me to go to church or anything with them on Sundays, but I think things occurred there um you know, that probably shouldn't have happened. And like I said, probably wouldn't happen at this day and time. And, you know, there were little comments made every so often um, by kids, but I can't, you know, remember an exact thing that happened. I certainly grew up, um, you know, going to synagogue and having rabbis and things like that in my life. Although, Unfortunately, when I went away to school, which was in fourth grade, um, that kind of ended uh, most of my religious study and and things like that. But I do remember when, you know, before I went away to school, um, even though my parents went to an Orthodox synagogue, they YouTube, sent now, me to the latest form synagogue. I'm sorry. Somebody's computer was going. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Shirley. Oh, okay. They sent me to a reform synagogue for um, Sunday school because they were apparently a little bit more willing to uh, to work with me at the time. So, um, you know, I remember that I, I ended up, um, you know, doing that. But uh, I guess that would pretty much answer, um, you know, what Landra was asking about Part, at least in my experiences. Thank you so much. Holly, next question. Pam Washington, you may go ahead. Yay, Pam. <laughs> Hi, I told you I'd be here. Um, I knew Anita when I was in the first grade. Yep. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> We've known each other a long time. And I used to go to Anita's house and spend the night, which was a really interesting thing because her mom was very, very German and very, very Jewish. And I didn't know anything about either one of those things. And I asked a lot of questions, and she answered me when I would ask questions. And the first thing I remember was when we were in the kitchen, and I was, I was, I was saying, "I can help you chop the the vegetables." And she she said something about, "No, you can't. You have to use a sharp knife." And I said, "We have sharp knives at my house." And I started chopping <laughs> something, and she said, "Oh, okay." And so I was chopping, chopping, and, she, and I said, show me how big you want the pieces, because my mom was real picky, picky about that. She'll make me do it over if I don't do it right. So she showed me exactly how she wanted it, and, and she said something about how I sure was fast at doing that. And I said, yeah, 
yeah, if you do it a while, you do it fast. And so we had a whole bunch of fun doing that in the kitchen. She was chopping something and I was chopping something else. And, and then I remember I accidentally touched her arm and I, I could feel her, her scar under her shirt on her under her sleeve. And we had, this is going to sound terrible. We had cattle and we branded those cattle. And I knew exactly what that was when I touched it. And I remember I just started to cry. I didn't ask her anything. I just knew what it was. I heard the story and I just started to cry. And she, she put her, she, she put her, she put her hands on, on my face, on each side of my face. And she, and she said, don't cry, don't cry. And I said, but it, and she said, it's okay. You didn't do it. And I, I'll never forget how, how, sad it was to touch someone and imagine how that would feel if someone did that to you and you couldn't do anything and you were treated like an animal and and she kept she put her arms around me and she wasn't real big on hugging exactly right but she she was hugging me and saying please don't cry and i was saying i'm sorry i i i just um i don't like the way this feels do you and she said no i don't either <laughs> it was just such a sweet thing to share with her yes indeed thank yeah. you so much thank pam you, thank you so Sweet. much sorry anita <laughs> oh, <it's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming pam who do we have next uh, holly is holly here Hold on. Uh, see, I can't. I'm not the host. I can't. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> Holly, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Oh, okay. Who, who do we have I'm next? I'm sorry. It's okay. Who do we have next? We don't have anybody next. Oh my goodness. No more raised hands. Aww. Um, Tim, you're out there. Do you want to say something? Tim Dowdy, I'm sure you're out there. Oh, yes, he is. Go for dough, Tim. You can talk. Hello? We've left them all speechless. Yeah. <laughs> when I was thinking that if anybody else, if Perla and Shirley and um, Anita wanted to share some more that they didn't have time to share, they're, they're welcome to do that now if they'd like. Yeah, I, I see that we have 29. Oh, we, have some, we have some hands raised. Oh, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. Let's go to the, the hands. What do we have first? Go ahead, Larry Olson. You Hi, Larry. Hey, from South Dakota. <laughs> can you unmute, Larry? Larry, unmute yourself and you can talk. Hopefully, you press the got it button that you had to press. Okay, go ahead. We'll wait for Lare We'll get, try to get Larry later. Later. Okay, Joyce Feinberg. Oh, uh, okay. I'm sorry. Who is that? This is Lorraine. I did. Get oh, okay. Oh, okay, Lorraine. Go I, ahead, honey. Um, 
This is a fascinating um, presentation, and um, I assume this will be on a podcast. Yes, that's or something that is that, what I would. That's what I assume. I, I can't assume, but I I hope so. You know, for people to listen. Yes, yes, ma'am. because um, I know at least a, a couple of people who you know weren't able to listen to it tonight and would yes. want to hear it. So yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for asking. Yes, I have been very um, hot about getting this into a podcast. Absolutely, and this will not okay. be the this will not be the only panel we'll do. We're going to do a couple of others. I have a couple of other ideas. Okay. So, thank you, Joyce. Joyce. Oh, she's gone. Oh, do no, we no. get her back? Yeah, get her back. I have Joyce. Go ahead. Joyce, unmute. Joyce, you can talk. Unmute yourself. I never raised my hand. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, it's all right. It's all right. Judy, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Holly. You had actually given me the command before I raised my hand, so I figured I should raise my hand. So anyway, um, not so much a question, but more of a comment that although the victims of the Holocaust were overwhelmingly Jewish, I think that we in the disabled community should never forget that there were many victims that were disabled, um, yes. that there were part of the people that were yes. rounded up, including gays and gypsies. Absolutely. And, Romas but, and also uh, political dissidents. Um, right. And all that kind of stuff. Yes, 11, 11 million. We say 6 million Jews, but 11 million c civilians all told. Yes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's just something that yep. we should keep in mind, those of us and all of us here are disabled. So yep. I think that's something we should not forget. Yep. Absolutely. And Thank thanks so for much. this. This was this was great, you guys. This was really fabulous. Thank you so much, Judy. Appreciate. Um hang on just a second. Beth from New Mexico. Go ahead. Hey Beth. Wait just a second. Go ahead, Beth. Okay, now I'm unmuted. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, ma'am. I thought this was a very, very good, fascinating presentation. And that's true. Those of us that are disabled, and, and even those of us that aren't, we have a lot to learn from from these people. Um, Absolutely. Especially like our children and grandchildren of today, they because the schools say something different and, and um, yes. we should appreciate the freedom that we have. Absolutely. I totally agree. Thank you so much, Beth, for coming. Thank you so much. Okay. I believe Cheryl Cummings has her hand raised. Yes, Cheryl Cummings. <laughs> I was looking. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I, w I was looking. <laughs> yes, hi. Can you, can you guys, can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can, Cheryl. All right, so I just got to say, this is so moving. Um, and thank you to everyone who, 
who spoke tonight. I mean, um, but I want to ask you a question because there's so much sorrow and sadness that you talked about. And so I want if if our speakers could talk about like what brought joy into their their parents' lives. What what made their parents happy or <laughs> joyful? Okay. <laughs> well, I guess I'll go first. I'm Anita. Um, this is Anita. Um, I think what brought joy into my parents' lives was music. All six of my mother's my mother's siblings played piano, and I became the singer in the family and did cantorial work and still sing professionally and just did a CD last year. So um, that was a big deal for my parents was singing. They loved music, and my mother especially loved. Those of us that go back a long way might remember Sophie Tucker, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Mama. Oh my, she loved Yiddish that Shibaba. song. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And she always wanted me to sing it. And I kept saying to her, but you're not from that part of the world. <laughs> so music was a really big thing and that brought them joy. And yep. the other thing that brought my parents joy was they could polka like nobody else. <laughs> I mean, they would polka, everybody's dance floor would clear. And my mother loved accordion mm. and we have a guy in Dallas who he's an accordionist. That's what he does. He goes out and plays all kinds of gigs, you know, for Purim and for this for that. And she just loved him. I did too. He was great. Um, and so I think music had a lot to do with them. My father used to say that when they were in the ghetto, they didn't have anything to do. So they sang. Yep. I mean, and it kept them, it kept them happy. Thank you. All right. Um, Anybody else want to speak to this, Perla or Shirley? Yeah, this is Perla. Sure. Is it my turn? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, I'm go, sorry. go ahead. Yeah, it's a, no, okay. no, no apologies necessary. <laughs> okay. Well, I think both of them got a lot of joy out of watching their families grow. You know, the the success and happiness of everyone in the family and the and the grandchildren the, the weddings the bar mitzvahs everything else was uh was a real pleasure um my mother just loved making dinners and cakes and food you know she she wanted to make her family happy that was her happiness too um at talking about polka i remember one night they used to love to watch Lawrence Welk. And one oh, night, yes. my father and I went polkaing around our house, which was not very big, but that was always a good memory for me. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Shirley? Oh, my goodness. Well, family. I mean, that was probably the main thing, um, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, just you know, us kids, um, and, and they had grandkids. Oh my gosh. My parents just loved the grandkids. Um, you know, if, uh, if you guys ever get to, to, uh, see the film and, and like I said, my, my parents, uh, did a film about the Holocaust Mm -hmm. and one of these days it's going to be on the internet and, and part of it, um, shows my brother's kids at their house when they were real little kids. And, mm. and, oh my gosh, my mother just got all kinds of joy out of, 
you know, my brother had kids, my sister had kids. So she saw all of us get married and, you know, was, was very, very happy about that. And my mother liked music a lot too. Um, she had a pretty voice. I mean, she didn't, you know, she didn't go out and, and sing or anything, but I still remember a story about, um, this one friend of mine told me, she said her mother came to the house one time and, and I, I don't know if my mother had the windows open or whatever, but before she came into the house, <laughs> she heard this person singing and she thought, well, what in the world was that? You know, did my mother have some kind of record on or what? And here it was my mother. And she was just, you know, kind of amazed. My mother actually did have a pretty voice and nice. she really, you know, enjoyed listening to music and things like that. And so, you know, they loved that kind of stuff. They went. They played cards every weekend. They played cards with their friends. They loved that. And they enjoyed, my mother particularly, you know, enjoyed uh, on occasion going to plays and things like that, dinner theaters or whatever. My dad would go too, but I don't know if he enjoyed it as much as she did. Now he loved, you know, he would watch TV. He loved to watch those silly wrestling shows and would sit there and laugh at them and my father was um he had a scrap iron business and um so you know he he called himself a a junk dealer and (laughs) one of his friends came up with that acronym he said he was an md a metals dealer so Used to love that. Oh my God, I love that. Oh, that's great. And laugh and laugh and laugh. (laughs) Thank you so So, much. You know, um, and you know they enjoyed, uh, like I said, being with their friends and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff too. So they definitely got, you know, got enjoyment out of life, um, even though the beginnings of their lives were horrible. You know, as teenagers and young adults. They definitely were able to have some enjoyment in life later on. Okay, now we're doing the Wait, lightning round. Oh, go just ahead. Just a second. We have four hands and ten oh, minutes. I know. I'm aware oh. of that. That's so. We're doing the lightning round, folks. Be quick about it. Who do okay, we have first? Paul O'Brien. Paul O'Brien. Mike. Michael, Michael O'Brien. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> go ahead, Michael. We're on my end. That's all right. Um, I I can't understand with all the documentation that's out there and and everything that we know how people can deny the Holocaust. I I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Uh, You know, it's it's crazy and it's happening again. And it happened when I was in Anchorage. It happened where there was a guy sitting across from us with the moose lodge, my husband and I, and he was definitely a Holocaust denier. So, yep, yep. I don't understand it. Well, uh, Neither do I, but it happens. Thank you, I Michael. Know. Thank you, sweetie. Welcome. Anybody next? Diane Scalzi. Hello, Miss Scalzi. Well, yes. Good. Good evening. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I kind of agree with what uh, Michael just said. This is this is why it's important that we need to have presentations like this, and people need to continue to um, write about it and talk about it um, because it is hard to believe that there are people who would deny that it ever happened. And I don't know what they're teaching in school. They're not. These they're days. Not. It's been, they're not. It's been, 
it's been a long time since I've been in school. Yep. Um, but you know, it doesn't help that they that it doesn't help. I don't think that they don't teach it. And if they, you know, if we let it go, then then it will be easier for people to deny that. that, that that it happened and we can't let that happen. No, there Thank was a you. book that, that was book. There was, was a book banned recently called mouse about, uh, this child's parents, Holocaust, this person's about a child whose parents were Holocaust survivors and they banned the book. So, you know, so it's crazy. I think it was in Tennessee somewhere. So what can I say next? Uh, we have Donna Browning, Donna Browning from Virginia. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hello. Hello. Um, Hello. I I um I'm really excited that y'all did this. Um I've been looking forward to it. My husband is listening with me. He um is a history fanatic. Um and of course we both cannot understand how people do not believe this. It just doesn't make sense. But I'm gonna tell you, I think a lot of it is ignorance and a lot of it is also uh stupidity. Um <laughs> but um I um I I I fear that it would happen will happen oh, again. Me too. Me too. And um I um I've read so much. Um sometimes I think I read too much about it. Um mm-hmm. and, and you know, I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I, I actually I don't mean this in a bad way, but I I it's a genre I like to read about. Um mm-hmm. because I think it's it for me it helps me um to remember to remember that my life is it's incredibly blessed it helps me to remember um to be resilient and um i think it's a shame that our children aren't taught better about this in school when i was in school it wasn't taught well i mean it was taught a little but you know there's so many lessons that could come from this and I appreciate that um, these speakers have gotten up today and shared this um, very important information. Um, I think it, I think uh, Donna, it, I think Donna, the most important thing is to make sure that other people know that this existed, that you know it existed, and that you yep. share it with other people who are Christian. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And thank you. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate okay, it. Thank ma- you. Go ahead. That's the last hand baby we had one and she laid she lowered it <gasps> oh no all right well <laughs> well i i do want to say um first of all that i have appreciated everybody who's who's talked and um does anybody do, do uh we have a few minutes to do do our three panels have any closing words <laughs> or are they talked out already <laughs> <laughs> well I guess the only thing I can say is just be positive, don't give up, and don't lose hope. That's Those are three things that I really, and be resilient. Those are the things I really try to do now. And and I would add, and look for joy. Look for joy, yes. And, and Shirley, do you have any closing words? Yes, I would just like to thank the people who came and listened to us tonight who were um, open-minded enough to do that and particularly um, you know the ones who um, asked questions and communicated with us you know don't ever be afraid to ask anything you know people ask me sometimes particularly about um, 
my blindness, you know, does it bother me when people ask me questions? They're almost afraid to ask. And, and, you know, my opinion is I'd rather you ask me about something if you're wondering about it, than be afraid to ask and, and, you know, uh, just, you know, be ignorant like some people are because, you know, they're really afraid to ask or they already have formed their own opinions. And, um, you know, these things do need to be talked about. So, um, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Um, and it's always good to, to share information and knowledge with one another. I want to say one more thing, and that is that there were three kinds of survivors that are now uh, being acknowledged. Um, the death camp survivors, the labor camp survivors, and the resistors or partisans. These are the three kinds of survivors that you will hear about. And, um, you know, I think we heard a little bit about the resistance. We heard about some of the people who were sent to Siberia. And there were quite a few Jewish people that were sent to Siberia uh, uh, from Russia because the, the Russians didn't particularly like Jewish people either. So I think that there are a lot of nuances to um, Holocaust survival and who survived and how and, and where they were sent and stuff like that. So. Um, even though we hear about the death camps mostly, Treblinka, Auschwitz, you know, Bergen-Belsen, where Anna Frank died and her family, except for her father, um, we th th there are a lot of other stories we don't hear about the labor camps, the work camps, and stuff like that. So, um, and um, I really want to appreciate our host, and I thank you everybody for joining us for this very very special evening. Thank you, Holly, for being a wonderful host, and thank you, Jeff, for streaming. And um, with that, I'm going to say good night.